0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Okie dokie,
1: folks. Welcome back. Horticulture's the Rushing, and welcome to the new new year, 2022. Hey, Java, how you doing, man? How'd the kids get
2: through Christmas and all? Oh, man, we on the other side, so I, I guess it was okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Did you get enough snow to play in in Jackson, or we got mostly up in North Mississippi.
2: No, we didn't get any. Well, we got, I, I guess, well, I don't know if you would call it a dusting, but we had some snow fall, but nothing sticked. You know, it was not anything to even build a, a miniature snowman.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I, I I stay tuned, even though I'm over in England right now. I stay tuned. I, I, I'm always up on, you know, I want to know what's going on in my yard. And luckily I've got a, a, a security camera, and I can watch what's going on in my yard. And I didn't get much. Just, uh, you know, it just lo- looked like it was blowing a whole lot. But uh, anyway, everything seems to be going pretty good. Everybody finally got what we normally call normal winter, finally. I mean, it, we we didn't have a winter until till January, it was just—it was unreal. It was fall.
2: Yeah, that's a, the good thing about this time now, with it being—I guess the the seasons and the temperature have finally lined up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So oh, that's what gets a lot of plants. You know, so many people worry about covering their plants up, and you know, covering makes people feel better. It really doesn't help plants. That if it gets down below the the mid twenties covering doesn't help at all but it does make people feel better as long as they uncover the plants when the sun comes out because I can you know that's like being in a car with the windows rolled up it can get really steam under there but i think overall it's just like what was it was it last february we had all that ice was it january or february
2: no it was it was last yeah last february we had the kind of historic ice storm yeah
1: oh yeah yeah i mean it was i got down to nine degrees and a lot of people say oh, well, I need to cover my rosemary and my oregano. I'm thinking, those things are going in a box in the back of my pickup truck, and they made it just fine. But it, it, at the same time, a lot of camellias get lost. A lot of people, I mean, come on, we don't need roses in January. It was time for them to get burned.
2: <laughs> and, and, and get booglified.
1: <laughs> yeah, boog, booglified. My friend Clayton Allen coined that phrase when it gets turned nasty and all. But, Anyway, I know we got a whole lot of uh, we, we just have a, a a whole lot of things we can be talking about this time of year uh, that we can't do much about. where we can talk about it. So I'd like to open the phones up if people want to give us a call and it's toll free one eight seven mpb ring. And y'all, uh, who, who's our phone gator today? Is it Kevin?
2: Yes, sir. You know Kevin Farrell, he's in place and ready to talk to the people.
1: All righty. Well. Um, I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm looking out, it's actually snowing outside where I am, and uh, I'm wishing I was looking out my window in my house, uh, making sure that some of my, my, my paper whites are doing okay. A whole lot of people were worried because their daffodils come up early, and I'm thinking they're supposed to do that. They come up early in, in Ohio, but the, the ones that we grow in the deep south, they don't grow so well up north The paper whites, and the jonquils, they're very early, and a really hard breeze can nip them back or even kill them. But most of the time, they bloom just fine, likely, this, this kind of weather. And by the way, there's some debate about whether paper whites are daffodils or not, or jonquils, are the daffodils or narcissus? And I go through this every year, but the, the, the fact is, narcissus is Latin for daffodils, which is how English people, English-speaking people, call Narcissus, but there's paper whites which have a little cluster of fragrant flowers. There's a little kind of jonquils with a little skinny, reed, quill-like leaves, and there's all sorts of other kinds of narcissus and daffodils. But anyway, the paper whites, the jonquils, they bloom early. They should be fine unless they dip down into the mid or lower teens. So, anyway, we got any calls yet?
2: Uh, we're getting one lined up. Um, I believe it's coming in from lower Alabama. But I did want to let you know this um, over the Christmas break that we had um, Santa Claus drop off a indoor garden for um, really for the kids. It's a it's, uh, it's kind of a I don't know if you've ever seen one of these things. It's like a fish tank at the bottom. And then at the top, it can grow some herbs or some um some succulents and it's kind of all in one type of deal. Um, does, it, does, it,
1: does it have a light on it? You got to put it by a window.
2: No, it, you. Uh, t- I don't think you have to put it by anything because we have it kind of tucked away in our house, and we've already had some wheatgrass um, that crystal <laughs> that crystal juiced, and.
1: Does it got lights with it too?
2: Um. Oh, no, I don't think it has no no it does i know it does not have any lights, but it's yeah. just it's kind of a I have to send you a picture of it uh during the break, yeah,
1: yeah well maybe we need to get one from up for, for up at the studio,
2: yeah because it's a fish <laughs> tank we already put a beta fish in it the kids have uh she's yellow and uh they've nicknamed her goldie, so yeah i'm I'm gonna oh, send you a I picture
1: got, well, it's a fish tank on the bottom with a plant stuff up up above it.
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm we I, we we have we have a uh, Melanie on the line from Lower Alabama, and when you're talking with her, I'm gonna send you a picture of it.
1: Okay. Hey, Melanie, how are you this morning?
3: I am very fine, and it's very fine here in LA.
1: Yeah, well, you know, it's uh, it's real interesting. Um, uh, uh, and I, I know y'all got a little bit of cool weather down there, but nothing like they did up in Northern Alabama. So, what you got going I- on this morning?
3: Well, I have a lore Chinese fringe, whatever you want to call it. I think yeah. it's a Laura yeah. And I have been because of where it's located, I have to keep it trimmed, uh, to keep it from, you know, taking over the walk. But you know how that is when you when you clip a hedge it kinda grows on you if you aren't careful and gets bigger and bigger. Yeah. And now it's too tall for me to really comfortably trim the top and I was looking inside of it, you know, and it's got it looks like one of those ones that where they <clears throat> do the crepe myrtles and they create these big balls of yeah so i'm just wondering, I know sometimes you say, Take it ever all the way down, which is what i'm really tempted to do, but if I take it down to just a couple of feet tall it's it's over five feet tall now because I have to reach up to clip it um yeah. How long will it come back pretty well by by summer, or should I just take a few limbs out of the middle and try to do it
1: gradually? okay here here's the deal. First of all, if you prune it now, you're not going to put out any new growth till spring, so if you cut it now, it's going to be naked until spring. So you know it, it, so it, if you want to put it off, you can do this. you can cut a plant down to a foot, two feet tall, whatever you want to. But the closer you get to spring or even into spring, the less time it's going to be naked. So I'm just saying, if you prune it now, you got nothing till it would put out new growth anyway. So if you could hold off, that'd be fine. You might even let it bloom because you can cut plants like that hard, even up until the end of July, the first part of August, and they got time for new growth to come out before fall. So there's no rush to do is what I'm saying. Uh, but there, there, there's two approaches towards pruning like this. One is to cut it all the way back, six inches a foot, two feet, three feet, whatever you want to do, and the new growth, will come out right when you make the cut. So to make the stems, you know, some tall, some shorter, so it fills out nice. You can do that anytime. time. But it's real important, Melanie, when you when you do that, for the new growth, when it comes out, the snip the tips off the new growth so it bushes out instead of shooting up tall again. In other words, start it low and then just keep it pruned uh, once or twice a year as it gets taller and then every now and then cut it way back again. Now, the other approach is, to just thin out some of the lower limbs, thin out some of the middle branches, and let it become a small tree that you can see under or through, like a small evergreen tree. It's perfectly okay to do it like that. You, don't, you know, you've got a big plant, and you're trying to keep it stuffed into, a, in, into a, 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 a bread box, and why not go ahead and let it get on up a little bit taller, thin out the stuff so it has some nice few sturdy trunks and a few main limbs, and let it bloom on up above you. And then you're done with it. Uh, it's, just a, it's just a different approach, is all.
3: Yeah, I understand that. I just, I, this is, it, it needs some fullness right where it is, and there are other plants around it that I don't want it to get tall enough to shade them uh, out. I guess, the, you know. So I think the, I'm gonna. The,
1: if if you want to keep a big plant small, you have to just steer yourself every three or four or five years, cut it way down, let it come back out, and then keep pruning the new growth to make it bushy instead of shooting up tall.
3: That to be the hardest part of pruning is going out there and it's growing yep. so good, and then you got to take all those little tips off.
1: <laughs> hey, it, it, it's hard enough for you. Imagine a plant that wants to get big, and you keep <laughs> whacking it back. You know, it, it, you know. A, a third alternative is to pull it out. They've got some. Some very dwarf, compact, low pedilums. Pull it out and put something that wants to be the size that you want it to be. So otherwise, you know, you're you're you know, you're bailing out a very leaky boat. You know, keeping something big constantly pruned. So you know, it, it, it's different approaches. But if you want to keep a big plant small, you just got to prune it. Just make your mind up and just go on. Just go on and do it.
3: And and since it has since we've now had some freeze, just barely, I think, but. Is it <clears throat> February's
1: when we're supposed to prune our fig trees back hard, right? Well, no, not not hard. Fig figs produce on what's gonna grow this year, right? Yeah, well, right. If only if only if what you what 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 you leave some of last year's growth. If you cut a fig back to the ground it'll sprout back out, but if you cut it back where it doesn't have any of the two thousand and twenty one stems left on it, it'll sprout out but won't make figs. So what you do well, that wouldn't be anything out. new
3: if it doesn't make figs.
1: <laughs> yeah. So so, 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 what I do is every year when I, when I get these chicken figs, I cut it back a little bit, make it bushy. This this time of year, January, February, if you'll follow the tip of what grew last year, for where it, from the tip of it, to where it grew last spring, leave about half of that, and, and it'll branch out with two or three stems that'll have figs on it. You always well, I've been telling myself
3: five years now, Felder. But every year, I mean, I pick both of the figs the same day, and you know, it's over with. So.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I you know, a good I think I am going to probably try to
3: pull this one out and put a, put a. I think it's a brown turkey. You said did better
1: or Celeste? Yeah. No, Celeste is good. with brown turkey's okay, Celeste is good. But the bottom line is, you know, prune it down low, and the new growth comes out. Cut it so it bushes out. And then cut that so it, but you know, keep it as a bush instead of shooting up tall. You know, it's just a, it's just sort of a, a, a basic thing about pruning. You know, big plants get small. The more you prune them, the thicker they get, the more trees they get, the more compact you get, the less pruning you have to do. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I can go, I can go around my fig trees with one hand, you know, in my pocket and just snip off the tips of what grew last year. it would be nice and bushy and more food.
3: Yeah. Well, I don't know whether this is just in a bad place or what, but for some reason uh, I used to have one there that that same spot that did great, this one doesn't. But anyway, have a great day,
1: and thank you. Okay, Happy, happy new year. See you later. Okay, Java, let's take a little break. I've got to re my phone in here. Uh, I'm Port Costa, Zelda Rushing, and you tune into the Gestalt Gardener. Uh, it's snowing around right now, which is Lancaster. Lancaster's is in northern England, just south of the Lake District, just south of Scotland a little bit. But I'm on the same latitude as Edmonton, Canada, 400 miles north of the Canada border. But we have very mild winters. We got down into the 20s this past week, It's in the 30s, it's snowing. It's so pretty much like Mississippi with more snow. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break and come back with more of the Gestalt Garden here on Mississippi Public Broadcasting right after this. Okie dokie, folks. Welcome back. Porta Costa rushing, and Java. Let me let me ask you something. Uh, did you get that picture I sent you?
2: Yeah, it was a your your mug um, covered my in broken mug covered in <laughs> snow.
1: Yeah, my broken MPB mug. You know, uh, last in uh, the end of last year, I planted some cold hardy sedums in it, and I was just leaving it outside. But uh, and I put a little gnome beside it, a little tiny gnome, uh, not about twice as big as my thumb, and he's up to his mustache. And snow. I just want to let you know it's a sympathetic snow for folks who got a lot of cold weather in Mississippi. So, anyway, you think we got the sound fixed a little bit because it's just a squirrely thing being five thousand miles away?
2: Yeah, we got it, man. It's it's you know the uh, just part, well, of the business, part of the business, part of the
1: business. Let's see what it's like. Let's talk to Maryland. Is she uh, you say in Mobile or on the Gulf Coast?
2: Well, I'm not sure where Maryland is, but Barbara is up next, and she's in Mobile.
1: Barbara. Good morning, Barbara. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. Thank you, and Happy New Year. Thank you. Can you hear me okay? I can. Great. Okay. Well, we got it worked out then. What you got, and Happy New Year to you, too. What you got going on? Well, I have a problem, and I hope you can help me. The moles are tunneling all over
3: my yard. I've had a landscaper spray twice to get rid of their food source. I've used an entire container of poison peanut pellets, but I'm still seeing new tunnels spread over my entire front yard, and now they're spreading to the side
1: and backyard, and I'm at my wit's end. Well, here, uh, here's a couple of things. to Keep in mind that I work with people who run botanical gardens and do landscaping all over the country and all over England, and what I'm about to tell you is absolutely true, is poison peanuts do not will not and have never slowed moles down. It is pure gimmick. They don't eat peanuts. They eat worms and worms and stuff. And second of all, spraying to kill their food source means you got to sterilize the soil and kill all the earthworms and everything. They don't just eat grubs. They eat, I mean, moles are native to here. Grubs are not. Uh, so, you know, if they eat herbs, you'd have to completely sterilize all the life in your soil to get rid of their, and they just gonna out looking for more stuff. The only known control, the only one that we know works, is one of these plunger-type mold traps. And I'm real sure of this. Keep in mind, I've been doing this for 40 years. I've heard it. I've seen it. I've watched it. it, it, It's just astounding to me how people cling to what we know doesn't really work. Anyway, a plunger-type mold trap, if you follow directions – He'll tell you how to, to identify what we call the main run, the main tunnel they use all in forth, back and forth, as opposed to the one-shot feeder tunnels. And if you right. can that main run and set a plunger-type trap on there, that gives you about a 50-50 chance of controlling it. And it does work m- more than anything else. It's not any fun, but that's what the people who do this for a living do. They don't use peanuts or sprays or any of that kind of stuff. All that's just pure gimmick. Feeling on people's frustrations. Well, I appreciate that. So is it just one plunger trap that I put out? or
2: Yeah, if yeah, I yeah. Find a,
1: yeah. No, uh, all you need is one. And, again, they have sort of like a main tunnel that they use. It's a like kind of protected or slightly elevated area. And then if you'll go around where they're doing really active work and just lightly push down on a few with your foot, if they're pushed back up the next day, that's the main run. And that's where you all right. the trap. All right. That is so helpful, and I thank you for that information. Okay. All right. And and keep in mind, for what it's worth, what they do, unless you get out, unless you're playing, you know, ball games or something like that, it's more unsightly than anything. It really doesn't harm the lawn as much as it bothers us. I'm real sure of that. But uh, if it's really bothering you, mold trap is the only surefire thing to work. All right. If that doesn't help me, if that doesn't work for me, then I'll just learn to live with it. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't wear bifocals by chance, do you? I do. Take them off. The mold disappears. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to do that. Thanks so good, much. Good luck on it. All uh, right. you, you bye know, bye. Okay, appreciate it. You know, Java, there's all sorts of people who are going to say I'm an idiot for what I just said, but I'm going to stand by it because I've seen so many people try so many different things. And, you know, the, the, the chewing gum that Paul Harvey used to talk about, all that kind of stuff. It'll work occasionally for some people, but overall, no. I just gotta stick with what we know.
2: Yeah, I think sometimes some one person tried it somewhere one time it worked and then it just got spread around.
1: <laughs> yeah. It does bother me though that a lot of people go out and they put a lot of poison on the yard trying to kill the grub worm to kill the food source. But moles also eat earthworms and you know, and you got to put a lot of poison out there to get rid of the what you know, so they have the stuff to kill the, the grubs out there. Grubs are just a small part of moles food. So, anyway, it's just they're, 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 people are frustrated and the grass will hit straws. So, anyway, I know that a plunger type trap works if you're persistent and follow directions. So, anyway, there's that.
2: Well, let's stay on the phones and talk with uh, Thomas uh, from the Gulf Coast right now.
1: Hey, Thomas, good morning. How you doing, man?
2: I'm
0: fine. And how are you doing? How's your mama and them?
1: How's mom and them? They're, they're, well, mom, mom, mom's mom been gone all these years now, but her, her spirit is still keeping... You know, I, I, do you got any children by any chance?
0: No, thank God.
1: Okay, okay. Well, when I was a kid, my mother used to make me go out and get a switch. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, peach limbs. Yeah, go get a switch. Well, that sound that a switch makes going through there, that sound... My mother, I, I swear every time I say something really stupid or dumb, I swear my mother's standing behind me, and she's going to smack me on the back of the head if I was straighten up. So mama's doing fine in spirit. What you got going on, man? What's up?
0: Uh, I want you to expound on something you said on air oh, months ago, maybe back in the spring, about oh, hostas boy. on the Gulf Coast. I live in Ocean <laughs> Springs, south of Fort Bayou, so it's a very humid, very warm place. I can't grow yeah. hostas. I've tried
1: and well, tried here. and tried. Okay, here's the deal. I'm going to preface this by saying that every time I am say what I'm about to say, somebody says I'm an idiot. So, you know, There's no hard fast rules, but in general, hosses don't grow on the coast. It's too hot at night, but more important, it's not cold enough in the winter. Hosses, the further north you go, up into Canada, the better hosses grow. So down on the coast, they have a hard time dealing with real mild winters and also with a hot, humid summer nights. So in general, they're not a good idea. There's going to be some people who say they've been growing them for years, but for every one of those there's a hundred who say, nuh-uh. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, so, I, I had a friend people, that, that had a backyard that sloped down to a bayou, and she could grow them just fine. Uh, well, yeah, but I'll cool. you know, i spend good money buying them, and I'll spread their little webby-like uh, roots out in a pot, and yeah. and. Yeah. Cover them up, and they maybe they'll produce one or two leaves, and that's it. Well,
1: they they, they like cold climates. You know, that's they're, they're cold climate plants. But anyway, if you want to give them a try, they have to have shade. Of course, they must have shade. Uh, right. A good, well drained soil, and you. And, and if you were to water them, you know, don't rot them, but give them a good soaking at least every two or three weeks, and spoon feed them with fertilizer. Get them a little fertilizer at a time. Two or three or four times from spring till late summer, you know that'll help them a little bit. In other words, you got to baby them. Uh, but the other thing is, keep in mind that there's a there's a plant called peacock ginger that g- grows on the coast and not further north. And peacock ginger looks it, it, to me it's better than a hosta. See? So you can grow peacock gingers, which are good hosta substitutes where hostas have a hard time. So anyway, another thing you might want to consider putting them in a kind of a, a big pot halfway in the ground and grow them like a potted plant that needs to be watered from time to time and that might help but uh in general hushes don't grow well on the coast you know and, and yeah that's, that's just that's just something we that people have found out over a long time so, anyway shade occasional soakings or spoon feed them with fertilizer and um good luck
0: <laughs> yeah it, it sounds like i could put them in a pot and then put the pot inside an ice chest and Pack them with ice at night or something like that. That would be
1: well, a not, lot of it, trouble. But. It's, not, it's not so much that. You know, it's just like peonies. You know, peonies grow in Hopkins, Minnesota. That's where the headquarters is. And people try to grow them on the Gulf Coast, and they just need a colder winter. Uh, and and that's the problem with They You know, they just they they, they just they just struggle. They're popular plants, and there's some people who have success, but they baby them. And so you're going to have okay. to just baby them. That's all it is.
0: I'll look for I look for the peacock ginger somewhere. That sounds promising.
1: There, you know, uh, g- Google them and you'll see what I'm saying. They're real, they, you know. They're the Hassa substitutes of Florida, and they grow okay. fine on the Gulf Coast.
0: Okay, have a great time in England.
1: I appreciate it. See you, man. Good luck. Goodbye. And uh, by the way, folks, uh, I'm coming back in a, just a few weeks. I'm doing a, a fruit seminar in in February at Hutos in Jackson, home fruit. For the landscape, landscape quality plants that grow stuff you can eat. Uh, and I, you know, I don't, I don't really goof around that much with here's what you can do. I try to stick with what works really well for most people. So, uh, in, anyway, uh, it, we're gonna be cranking back up starting February with all sorts of business around the country. I'm hoping I can job, I can talk y'all and us taking this program back on the road two or three times.
2: Felder, I was looking at some pictures um just the other day and remembering how we had such a good time going around Mississippi.
1: Well we need to see if we can do that again. And by the way, I, I got the, the picture of your uh back to Roots indoor garden self watering mist free planter. It looks like uh you know it probably do better if you could put it where the the plants get a little light maybe put a lamp over them because they're gonna need some light to grow up there
2: okay well that's that's pretty Uh, cool
1: unless you're growing stuff that you grow real fast and eat it before it has a chance to die
2: yeah because we had the wheatgrass going and like i said it's already been in a couple juices but let's get to this cheesy tune there you go there you
1: go Okay, well, we got a cheesy tune coming up, and people who are from Great Britain will know exactly what the dance is that goes with this, but it's just a happy song. It's an earworm. I thought it'd be good for us to kick off the new year, this first program in 2022, with something really cheerful. We'll be back with more of the Gestalt Gardener right after this.
4: Bring me sunshine in your smile Bring me laughter All the while In this world where we live There should be more happiness So much joy you can give To each brand new bright tomorrow The sun from up above Bring me fun Bring me sunshine Bring me love Bring me sunshine In your smile Bring me laughter All the while In this world where we live There should be more happiness So much joy you can give To each brand new bright tomorrow Make me happy Through the years Never bring me Any tears Let your arms be as warm As the sun from up above Bring me fun Bring me sunshine Bring me Love. Bring me fun, bring me
2: sunshine,
1: bring me love. Hey! Okie okay, dokie, okay, folks, welcome back. Horticulture spelled the rushing, and you know what? I bet if you walk out in your yard, you know, the next time it's warm enough to walk out there and look around, look at your grass, I bet you're going to see all sorts of little bitty green things growing that aren't grass. And the reason I'm pointing that out because they don't look like much right now. they are tiny little things here and there, maybe some wild onions, maybe some dandelions, some, some garlic, a uh, bit, But there's also these little ferny things called stickers. They're not stickers until they get big, they flower, and they make seeds which are the real stickers, that doesn't happen till March or April. So if you have problems with stickers or if you think that wildflowers are weeds, you want to get rid of them, this is the month to do it. January, early February, if we have some warm spells, if you had problems with the weeds in your lawn last spring, if you'll spray them while they're young and actively growing, it's a whole lot easier, it's a whole lot more effective because the longer you the way, the harder they are, to control, and the less success you're going to have, and the more likely you can damage your lawn. So if you have problems with wildflowers in March and April, this is the time to start thinking about uh, spray. Anything that will control dandelions and clover will also get rid of stickers. So if you wait till you have problems with stickers, too late for me to help it then. So, a little proactive thing there. Uh, now let's slide down to Hattiesburg and talk with Don. Hey, Don, thanks for holding.
5: Hey, Felder, uh, I'm in Hernando.
1: Oh Hernando, way up in Hernando. Sorry about that. I just I I put Don H, then Uh Berg and Hernando a long ways apart. What's up? (laughs) Hey,
5: we have two acres of land, and I'm going to turn just a small portion of it into a wild uh, pollinator garden. And I did this last year, and I just uh, we put out some uh, different kinds of seeds, and the flowers came up great along with some a lot of native, what I would think would be weeds. They grew up like five, six feet tall and had these teeny tiny little blooms on them. And those were fantastic because that's where all the honeybees went to. (laughs) All all of those ones, everything that came up that I didn't plant, uh, that's where the honeybees came to. The butterflies (laughs) and all of the other things were were great on what I planted. My question is this. Along with those wildflowers native that came up along with the seeds, I planted with a lot of pasture grass. This is an old pasture that I'm doing this in. Right. And it had right. all this pasture grass that came up really thick and was really hard to mow once I was to the point where I wanted to mow it all down you know, after right. it went to seed. So my yeah. question is, is there anything that I can do about all that pasture grass to keep it down to, and, and keep all of the flowers coming up?
1: Well, there, there's a couple of things. Uh, it, first of all, the overview is if you ride along the interstates or along rural roads where they don't do a lot of mowing and spraying, where they just mow maybe bush all maybe twice a year, where all right. our, our really good wildflowers are blooming, where the, you know, you'll notice that that's mostly grasses. You know, grasses and wildflowers go hand in hand. You can't have right. wildflowers out. Have so you know that the grasses are always going to be. Uh, part of it, whether you see it as a problem or a challenge or whatever. So don't expect to have just pure wildflowers. That ain't that, that, that ain't natural. <laughs> um, the other thing to keep in mind is a lot of our best pollinators of wildflowers on this side of the Mississippi River and our, uh, our warmer, more rainy, acidic type of soils are going to be bigger, late summer, fall-blooming wildflowers as opposed to the spring ones you see in Texas that burn out when it gets hot and dry so they have early spring low-growing wildflowers we have taller type of things that bloom in the summer and the fall that's just the the nature of our climate so uh if you want to have a wildflower meadow let me suggest before we get to what you do about the grass to put something out there that's a hard feature that makes it look okay for that stuff to be waist high put you a bench out there and mow a double wide strip to it put a little uh little section here and there of a uh, split rail fence an old tractor, put anything out there to make it look like a, a, a meadow that's going to be knee high to waist high, and then just mow around the edges of it and mow some path through it to make it look like it's okay instead of just a big patch of of, of weeds. No, no, yeah, design, you design, yeah, design it a little bit is what I'm saying. Um, right, yeah, you
5: gave that, uh, instruction to someone, yeah, you know, several, several weeks ago, and that's yeah. exactly what I was going to do with the, I was just going to do it in strips so that when you look across yeah. the whole expanse, it's going to look like, oh, one big, you know, yeah. meadow, but then once you get yeah. in there, you just go down the paths. That's exactly yeah. what we wanted to do. It,
1: it, it even helps if you could here and there have clumps of the large shrubs of the small trees that are native that's, out there, you know, a clump, of, a clump of sumac or something like that, and to where it's not all just the same level. You know, a lawn is the same level. Trees are mixed what you're looking at is somewhere in between lawns and trees. And so if you can mix stuff up like that and mow around little groups of trees, you'll find that the tall stuff in your meadow will look better next to some even taller trees, sort of like the edge of a woodland between the woods and the and, and, and the the moat area, that little in-between thing. No, we're just it scatters the bigger stuff. Now, to answer your question, there are weed killers that only kill true grasses. They work sort of like Roundup. But they only kill true grasses. Farmers use them under different names like Fusilade and Post. There's a whole bunch of different brands, but they only kill true grasses. You can spray them over everything, and only the grasses will die. The trick is, though, they work on young, actively growing grasses, not when they're big or starting to flower. So you know, right, you, know right. you know, late spring, early summer. You know, a couple of days after good rain, there's some stuff you could selectively spot treat here and there to knock the worst of the grasses down, and, uh, and, and it right. really do work. So uh, one thing I would suggest, sometime between now and spring, if you'll, you know, you, a lot of your spring wildflowers are already up there. They're going to be blooming. You don't want to prune them now. But after your big flush of spring wildflowers, if you could kind of bush hog a foot or so tall, that'll help your late summer and fall things be sturdier and stockier. So the two times to mow a meadow, one is in the fall after frost, cut everything down real close, the spring stuff will come up fine. And the second time is maybe a, a, a higher cutting in the late spring, early summer, after your spring stuff has gone to seed, then let the other stuff, it'll just make it thicker, and and, and that, that's when you would spray for these grasses.
5: Great, great. That's great advice. I appreciate yeah, it so I, much. Thank you. Yeah,
1: show. I, I I can't give you the brand names because I can't remember them, and I you know, then it might but anybody at a co op or farmer's shop will know what a grass a perennial grass killer is. They'll know what you're talking yeah. about.
5: Yeah, the county co op, that's exactly where I'll go. All
1: right, thank yeah. you, Felder. Okay, appreciate it. Send pictures. All right, Java.
5: Yeah, Thanks. Bye bye.
1: Okay. Okay, Java, what's up, man?
2: Uh, We're going to get ready to go ahead and take our last break for the hour. But as always, you know, we welcome more calls before we end up the show.
1: Okay, toll free, one eight seven seven mpb ring By the way, Java, uh, you know, we because of the holidays, we had repeat broadcasts. Well, I got a, a sweet email. Uh, I didn't get an email. I saw on the Mississippi Garden Facebook, a woman named Carolyn from the Gulf Coast said that she tested positive for COVID. She's doing fine. But she really missed our little ray of sunshine last week on, on MPB. So I appreciate folks who tune in to MPB as a ray of sunshine. I'm glad that we're part of it here on Fridays with the Gestalt Garden. We're going to take a quick break and come back and uh, got the lines wide open. If you want to give us a call, it's a good time to sort of kick around some ideas. I'm trying not to be too stubborn about it. Anyway, give us a call, toll 31877, MPB ring, and we'll be back with the Gestalt Garden right after this. All right, folks. Welcome back, Porta Costa Rushing. I'm so glad to be back here with you on the New Year's. And uh, by the way, there is a word, uh, Java, for for uh, you know when when I say something doesn't work and somebody else says, "Well, it worked for me." You're an idiot. There's actually a word for that. called Pata Physical. P A T A Physical. It's the unofficial science of imaginary solutions. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> It's, 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 a, it's a pataphysics is uh, about the law that governs exceptions, and there's always exceptions. No matter what we think, there's going to be somebody says, you're an idiot, I did it this way, and it works fine. And I celebrate that. But anyway, just keep in mind, the back of my mind is that thing called pataphysical, the science of imaginary solutions.
2: Whew. Well, I will say something that's not pataphysical before we go back to the phones is the way this show makes people feel each and every Friday and rebroadcast on Saturday. Because I uh, just got an email from um, Robert up in Hattiesburg, and it says, Hi, Felder. The tune you played today was the signature tune of the Maccabi and Wise Show that kept us, and Wise. Markleby and Wise. they kept us laughing in the UK during the '60s and '70s. Thanks for the memories.
1: You bet. I knew, well, he also knows that the end. It's sort of like the uh, uh, Smothers Brothers or Laughing. You know, there's a couple of guys who did skits and funny, funny stuff in England. But at the Innovator program, they skipped off the stage to that to that tune. So anybody from Britain knows knows the the dance you go with that, but. Anyway, we got any callers on the line?
2: Yeah, let's go to Don in uh, Corinth.
1: Hey, Don, what's going on up in the island? You got some snow, I bet. Ooh, just a
6: few flakes. The real snow was Monday, but just a fall oh, yeah. of snow today, uh, yesterday.
1: Yeah. But it's still cold. Well, it's in the 20s. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. Well, yeah. this is what I call normal weather for January.
6: Well, it's not normal for me. My wife and I just moved up here in June from Mobile, and it's not in the 20s in Mobile.
1: (laughs) Oops, oops. Well, what's what's going on? What can we help you with? We have
6: purchased a historic house, a 1930s Tudor Revival House in the Historic District of Corinth. And we have a backyard that's about a 50 by 50 plot, and it is just nothing. Uh, It has a clothesline and just weeds. And we would like to recreate uh, a 1930s garden for well, a third revival know, house. What what happens know, in those kinds of areas?
1: Well, this is this is kind of strange. You know, we have this group called the Southern Garden History Society. And, I've you know, I've been off and over a member for a long A lot of my really good friends are, are members of it. And we've studied landscape styles, landscape plants, what was appropriate, when did we start growing this, where did it come, all that kind of stuff. And the truth is, in the 1930s, there wasn't much of a landscape style. Uh-oh. <laughs> you know, up, you know in, in Mississippi, you know, we mostly, you know, we had free-roaming cattle. We had a lot of deer. Everybody had a fence around their yard to keep out the roaming stuff. And uh, typically, we started growing stuff up against the house. That foundation plant put stuff around the when the garden clubs started trying to gussy towns up. So the the the, the, the landscape styles we think of, uh, are really from the, the 20s and the 30s when they started putting plants that, that were more affordable back then. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. we, we we didn't have a lot of garden centers. We didn't have plastic pots back in the 1930s. So basically it's whatever people could get off a passing planter or dug through somebody's field. So typically they were kind of sparse. Uh, they would have Victorian beds. You would have a circular or square or triangular area out in the middle with all sorts of fun plants in it, something tall in the middle, maybe an urn or, you know, kind of a quirky Victorian type of thing as an ornamental mm-hmm. spot. But they didn't have a whole lot of stuff around the house or or, or or around the yard. So the trick is to come up with something that looks kind of old-ish. And keep in mind, mm-hmm. I see an a lot. And I, and I see a lot of, of gardens that have that of enclosure, sort of a loose cottage style. Anyway, uh-huh. if you'll send me a list, I have a list of plants that were commonly grown in the, in, in, during Victorian times, the, uh, the late 1800s, early 1900s, that fit uh-huh. into that style. There, there was a magazine uh-huh. called Old House, old house Journal, the, yes. that had a, a thing about old house gardens all the time. Uh, so in general, what you want to do is you want to have groups of plants, mixed kind of plants, rather than straight borders. And uh, just little groupings here and there um, of plants that fit the architecture, probably kind of an ornate, kind of a loose style, rather than strictly pruned shrubs. Uh, right. So, the, so no, I guess what I'm saying in in the deep south there wasn't a set middle class house type garden style. It was okay. usually borrowed stuff from a you know either trying to make a a, a small garden look big with these big lawns. You know, and and plants over in the distance, or else quirky little beds scattered here and there, almost like little floating islands. Okay, did they
6: have any paths or brick paths or anything like that?
1: Yeah, got to keep in mind, you know, until World War II, people couldn't afford lawnmowers. You know, we didn't have cheap gas engines until the late Mm. 30s and the 40s, and so they had push mowers, and they had more, more paths, mowed paths, than wall to wall grass. So you know, okay. there's, lots of, there's lots of different approaches. I'd love to explore this with you uh, because you can go in so many different directions. Shoot me an email sometime, and let's take it from there because you, you can have a lot of fun. You can have a whole lot of fun to. with Victorian-type stuff without adding a lot of work to to your life. You don't need to over-design stuff. that's going to take a lot of maintenance. we got some really good durable, low-maintenance plants and some real interesting combinations that y'all can have. And uh, so shoot me an email, send me a picture of your house, and let's have some fun.
6: I will do it. Thanks, sir. Appreciate it.
1: All righty. Good luck on it.
2: All right, Felder. (laughs) We're coming up on the end of the show, and we got two great calls. First, um, let's say Uh Tom in Philadelphia, and then we're going to Becky in Ocean Springs. But first, Tom in Philly.
1: Hey, Tom. What's going on, man?
0: Good morning, Felder. Uh, Hello. This this goes back to the – to the lady that called about the mole problem uh years ago i was sitting on my deck and i, I had a, a cat and i looked i was looking out in the yard and the cat was staring at the ground and before long he started digging and before long after that he pulled up a mole uh, cats uh, are
1: good cats are great with moles, and some dogs are too but the dogs do more damage digging than the moles do, but you're right, a, a, a cat, and you can actually sit on your porch where the moles are active, and you can sit there and watch. In the middle of the morning, you'll start seeing them hump up, and you can go out there, take a yeah. shovel in the in the tunnel behind them, and flip them up out of the ground. You know, you can yeah. actually see it, but a, a cat is a great mole, mole catcher. Well.
0: I just wanted to—I just wanted to share that there was a, there's another <laughs> opportunity to get rid of moles.
1: <laughs> You're right. That, that's a great one, Tom. I appreciate that. Thank you. All right. All right. Bye. Uh, and I, I know we're getting short, Job. I got to mention this. Years ago, a fellow called said well, he had a mole problem. He's put a little folding chair out in his yard and sat out there with an axe, and he sat there and watched until he saw where the mole was. And that's how he dealt with it. But I don't know if you want to be sitting out in your front yard with an axe in Philadelphia waiting for a mole. <laughs> anyway, you say we got um
2: Yeah, we I'm got one one last call for the show and um it's on the Gulf Coast Ocean Springs. Let's talk with Becky. Hey
3: Becky, good morning. Good morning to you. My question is about knockout roses. Previously yeah. you spoke about a problem that occurs when the ends of the roses begin to look like blackberries.
1: Yeah. And yeah, I would like one. to
3: uh hear you talk about that again and
1: how to handle it and I'm gonna hang up and listen. Okay, well you're not gonna be happy, so sorry about that ahead of time. <laughs> 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 there's a vi- there's a virus disease that's called Rose Rosette. It gets into plants and it causes the new growth to be all twisted and, 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 and gnarly. And just, it just really boogers the plants up. And there is no control for it. Once you get a virus in a plant, you can't get it out. There's no sprays and no treatment. And the only recommendation other than living with it is to pull the plants up. As a matter of fact, if you prune a plant, a rose that's got rosette virus in it and prune another rose immediately, you can spread it to the new rose with some pruning shears that's spread by insects. By by pruning shears from plant to plant, it's an, a viral infection. There's not a control for it. It's a serious problem. It's really important to buy plants that are virus free. And the first signs of this, much as I hate to say this, the only control is to pull the plants up and try to hope it doesn't spread to other roses. Um, if you do have a problem with it and pull them up, you can plant new roses later. But just keep in mind that the roses that are infected with the 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 uh, the the, uh, the, uh, the rose rosette is not in control for it. So if you like roses, plant them one here and one over there and something else. But if you have a whole rose garden, it can spread like wildflower. Wild wildflower. Wildfire. <laughs> wildflower. Wildfire. Java, I need to take a break, man. Can we take can we take off for a week?
2: Yeah, we're coming out of the end of the show so you you are starting to crack right on time
1: <laughs> i just you know i've, I've just got excited this last year since i talked to anybody about gardening i'm so glad and we'll be back same time same place and uh, maybe I shouldn't say on it but Java, see if you talking about folks and us taking this thing on the road two or three more times this spring and that was so so fun
2: last year. Yeah, I really can't wait. Um, I, I don't even have to speak this one into existence because I know it's going to happen. Go back to uh, the Max in, Mer- in Meridian because that place is that place is awesome, and we had a great time uh, talking with the people up there.
1: Well, if nothing else, maybe you and I can just hop the pickup truck and drive someplace and just call in from somewhere on a Friday.
2: Hey, we get somebody to work the boards, and I'm down.
1: I tell you what, man, it's been a weird, last year was weird. I'm hoping this year is a whole lot better, but gardening gives us hope. Gardening gives us hope. You know, you can plant stuff. And if it doesn't work, it's just gardening. But if it does work, it's something maybe you can share with your neighbor or children. Job, I hope your kids do well with that. With the new little garden on top of the uh, the, the goldfish, uh, the goldfish aquarium. But folks, if you've got African violets, need to be watered, water If you've got plants, need to be pruned, prune them. But main thing is, do something that makes a difference in somebody else's life. Take a kid to a garden center. Get them a little sack of bulbs or a pansy or something and take them outside and show them how to do what we do best and that's get dirt. Gardening is not just maintaining stuff. It's about growing and moving forward and sharing with others. Now, as they say on another English program, it's called Gone Fishing. They always end with the When they let a fish go, they say, and the way.